Hey, welcome to Coastal Community Church's online ministry. We are so thankful that you're making uh, this online ministry a part of your spiritual journey. And uh, we uh, want this sermon to encourage you and to help you grow to be more and more like Jesus Christ. However, at Coastal, we have a, a deep conviction that uh, every Christian should be a part of a local church. And so while we want to encourage you with this online ministry, we hope it's a part of your, your walk, your journey with Christ, we do want to encourage you to be in a local church. And so if you're on the peninsula and you don't have a local church, we would love to invite you to, to our location. Uh, we have two services. We meet at 101 Village Avenue uh, in Yorktown. We have two service times, 915 and 11, and we'd love for you to check out Coastal Community Church in person and, and worship with us corporately. The second thing is I want to introduce our sermon series for the fall. Um, we're doing a sermon series called Distorted, and we believe that uh, sin and, and just the busyness of life sometimes distorts all that God has for us. And so over the next six weeks, we're going to really dive into the scriptures and, and talk about how we have distorted what God's best is for us and remind us how the person and work of Christ makes all that clear uh, as we uh, investigate the gospel of Christ, the word of God, and, and reminding us of the truths of God so that our lives are no longer distorted and we walk in the fullness of all that the Lord has for us. Well, good morning, Coastal Community Church. It is great to see you, and uh, we're going to start a new series this morning uh, called Distorted. And so if you have your Bible, um, I'm actually going to jump around a little bit, so you're going to have to have a lot of dexterity to follow with me, all right? So it's a good, it'll be a good practice to help you learn your way around the Scriptures. Uh, I really want you to get that handout in the bulletin. You can follow along with me. And so uh, I want to make two quick announcements before we jump in. Uh, one thing that uh, as we start this six-week series called Distorted, uh, we really at Coastal, we really, really want you to journey in community with us. And what we mean by that is we hope that you'll uh, commit to being in a small group for six weeks. And we do this twice a year, kind of as on-ramps into our small groups. Small groups are such an important part of your spiritual growth. The Bible really knows nothing of a Lone Ranger Christian. We're to, we're to, we're to grow in community with others, and, and small groups are, is the way that we do that at Coastal. So if you're not yet in one uh, with, with all that I can muster in me, I want to encourage you to step out, take, try, try something new, commit for six weeks, go to the Welcome Center on the way out. We have our menu of our small groups and, and where you can sign up and be a part of one. You'll find one that fits your time, your, your location, uh, kind of your stage of life. I promise you there's one for you, okay? So be a part of a small group. The second thing, and I didn't get to announce this last week just for time's sake, uh, that we kind of opened with our grand opening, and that's our prayer chapel. Uh, if you have not seen it, it's, it's really beautiful. Uh, it's a really peaceful place to go and find some quiet and to pray. And so uh, that's over here on your left, my right on the way out. It's that big window that looks like a bullseye, you know, kind of thing. And so uh, that prayer chapel is open throughout the week. It's open today before the services, after the services. And uh, we actually have the Lord's Supper in there that's available to you throughout the week. So if you want to go in and take the elements of the Lord's Supper, that's all available to you. Really want to encourage you as a church, make use of that, all right? We would love for this to, you know, Jesus talked about the temple being a house of prayer. This isn't a temple, okay? It's a 
church building, but, but it is an opportunity to pray uh, to our Heavenly Father through our High Priest Jesus Christ, right? So uh, make use of that. We really want you to do that. Uh, let's jump in this morning, Distorted. And so today is... Um, it's kind of a setup sermon to the rest of this series, okay? And it's a little bit of what I'm calling biblical theology. It's, it, it's going to be less uh, focused on an exegetical point like I normally preach, and it's a little more of an overview of the God that we worship and the scriptures. And so you kind of have to have your thinking caps a little bit. Uh, Labor Day weekend, I actually kind of preached a precursor uh, to this series. And so I would encourage you, if you missed that weekend, to go online and listen to that sermon. We really talked about truth? How do we know truth? Uh, if Christianity proves to be untrue, you should believe something else, okay? And so the Bible is very clear that it is true. Christianity is true. Jesus is the Son of God, okay? And so that's kind of, and so this morning I'm going to kind of give you an overview of the God of the Bible. This is important because we live in a culture that is beginning to worship the God of their making, and, and what's discouraging me, I really, wanted, I really wanted to start the sermon series with something funny, you know, kind of grab you guys, but I just, I, the more I thought about it, the more I prayed about it, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to heavy on you this morning right out of the gate. Because what's discouraging to me is that we, we are living in a culture where people are claiming to be Christians, yet they're teaching and they're holding unchristian or unbiblical views. And my frustration with that is not that I would disagree maybe with their position. My frustration with that is it's confusing to people. And I think it's time for the church to begin to say, that is not a Christian view. You can hold that view. I'm not angry at you. I don't hold, you know, I don't hate you. But, but that is not a, you can't call yourself a Christian and believe that because that's not what the Bible teaches. Two weeks ago, Senator Tim Kaine was speaking at a LGBT activist convention. This is our senator of our state and um, vice presidential candidate. This is not a political statement, all right? So if you leave here today, and he's talking about, I'm not talking about politics this morning, but there are times that our politicians cross into the theological world, okay? And I think these things from time to time need to be addressed, Senator Kane said this at this convention while acknowledging that he holds the position of being okay with gay marriage. He said, and I quote, I know my position is at odds with the current doctrine of the church that I still attend. Now, Senator Kane is a, is a Catholic. Kane went on to say, but I think that's going to change. I think it's going to change, this is his quotes, because my church also teaches me about a creator in the first chapter of Genesis who surveys the entire world, including mankind, and says, it is very good. Cain said, in an apparent reference to God's alleged nod of approval towards homosexual practice. Then I quote, I want to add... Who am I to challenge God for the beautiful diversity of the human family? I think we're supposed to celebrate it and not challenge it. End quote. Now the problem I have with that is not that me and Tim Kaine would disagree on gay marriage. My problem I have with that is he is distorting Genesis 1. 
It's not even close to what Genesis 1 is teaching. When God declares things to be good, he is not, he's not celebrating something that in other parts of Scripture he clearly teaches is sinful behavior. And by the way, I'm not picking on homosexuality, okay? When I talk, we're going to, in this series, we're going to get to sex and sexuality, okay? Anything, any sexuality, sex outside of man and woman in the confines of marriage is a distortion of God's word, okay? Pornography is a distortion of God's word. Premarital sex is a distortion of God's word. Cheating on your spouse is a distortion of God's word. Homosexuality is a distortion of God's word. Polygamy is a distortion of God's word. On and on we go. So I'm not picking on one segment. I'm trying to paint the picture for you that there are some people in our culture running around claiming to be Christians that hold an unbiblical worldview. And I'm, I'm calling us at Coastal to say, let's stop calling these people Christians. Because they're not. Okay? And so this morning I want to give you a high level view. I want to bring us back to the word of God. And I want to encourage us. We have to stop distorting the word of God. And I, you know, I only have, and this, believe it or not, this is not the them out there. I'm not preaching it to them out there. I'm preaching to us in here. It's, it's up to us as followers of Jesus Christ, us as members of Coastal, you know, us as attenders of Coastal, to be serious and honest about what the Word of God is and what it teaches. We have to take the Word seriously. And if we have a worldview or a belief that is in opposition to the Word of God, then we are now molding God into our image. That ceases to be the true God, and it becomes the God who is really quite different from the God of the Bible. Now, we're going we're gonna to jump into some of those issues in the coming weeks, but this morning what I want to do is I want to park on the idea and the understanding that God is inseparable from His Word. God and His Word are one and the same. And we don't get to pick and we don't get to choose the God of our making according to the parts of the word that we do want and the parts of the word that we don't want. And when we choose to worship a God that is not the God of the Bible, that is the God of our making and that ceases to be God at all. And so this morning, let's park here for a minute, okay? Let's talk about God and his word. Okay. First of all, you've got to know about the God of the Bible. The God of the Bible is unchanging. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 8, and we, we went through Hebrews this summer together as a church, says this, it says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, he's the same today, and he's the same forever. Here's what that means. What pleased God 3,000 years ago pleases God today and will please God 3,000 years from now. Does that make sense? We don't get to, Tim Kaine, I'm sorry to tell you, you don't get to redefine Christianity and mold it into whatever you want it to be. What God called righteous and holy 3,000 years ago, God calls righteous and holy today, and God will continue to call it righteous and holy 3,000 years from now. What God tells us saves us from the penalty of our sin was true 3,000 years ago. It's true today, and it'll be true 3,000 years from now. By the way, that's good news if you believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ because God's not going to willy-nilly change how we're saved from our sin. Isn't that good news? 
So when I get into eternity future, I know God's not going to change his mind. What he established is true is going to be true forever. It's great news, by the way. It's reliable. It's something you can build your life upon. God's not going to change his definition of sin. And our God is inseparable from his word. The God that we worship at Coastal is inseparable from his word. Titus chapter 1 verse 2, the apostle Paul says... This truth, and by the way, in verse 1 of Titus 1, he's talking about the gospel of Jesus Christ, how we're saved from the penalty of our sin. And so he says, this truth gives them confidence that they have eternal life, which God, who what? So what's it say next, church? Who what? Who does not what? God doesn't lie, right? He promised them before the world began. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 18. So God has given both his promise and his oath. These two things are unchangeable. Why? Because it's impossible for God to lie. Therefore, we who have fled to him for refuge can have what? Great confidence. Why can you have great confidence? Because God does it. He's true to his word. He's inseparable from his word. If he ever denied his word, he would deny his own character. And so if you're here this morning, you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you are guaranteed eternal life because it's unchanging, because it's a promise of God. God doesn't lie. God doesn't change. He's always true to his word. Isn't that great news? It's great news. And so the author of Hebrews says, man, we have confidence in the gospel of Jesus because God doesn't lie. Now, one of the things that theologians will say, okay, and I don't have this as one of your notes in your Bible, but it might be worth, uh, I mean, in your notes, it might be worth just jotting this down. Theologians will say, one of the, the languages some theologians use is, is that God is without parts or passions, okay? God is without parts or passions. And, and so let me, let, me, let me define that for you so you understand what I mean by that. It doesn't mean that God's kind of stoic, okay? It means that God's nature is in unity with himself. Why is that important? It's important because is God love? Yes, God is love. No question about it. But God is also holy, All the time, he's holy. That doesn't change. And God's definition of justice, he's always just. That doesn't change. God will have judgment on sin. He will always have judgment on sin. That doesn't change. God is without parts or passions. And the reason that is important is because we live in a culture that is pulling out the idea that God is love and then using that as a trump card to say, now I can live whatever sinful behavior I want to live. Boom, why can I do that? Because God is love. Does that make sense? We, we don't get to segment the God of the Bible. He is without parts or passions. And when we, we segment God to just being love, what we fail to acknowledge is that God is holy and God is just and God has defined sin and God has defined righteousness and God has defined where, how we must be saved. And so the other characteristics of God does not trump the one characteristic of God and therefore we get to define whatever we want to define in the life that we live. And by the way, I think as a church, it's time to take a stand. And when there's churches that are teaching something to be righteous and good that the scriptures call sinful, it's time for us to stand up and say, they cease to be a church. Because what they're believing is a lie. 
By the way, you know what Jesus taught in Mark chapter 1, verse 15 when he came? He said the gospel message is repent and believe. Why is that important? Why is it important? Why did, Jesus didn't say God loves you and he has a wonderful plan for your life. God does love you. God does have a wonderful plan for your life. But that's kind of separating the message of Christ. Christ said repent and believe. Why is that important? Because the beginning of the gospel is repentance, which means that you acknowledge that there's sinful behavior that's in violation to the holiness and righteousness of God. That is the human race. And in order to connect with your creator through the person and work of Jesus, the starting point is to acknowledge your sin and turn from that and then believe in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And when churches begin to explain away what God has called sin, I'm, I'm going I'm to be bold here, they cease to be a church. I don't know what message they're preaching, but it's not a message of hope and it's not a message of life. The Bible says that the wages of sin is what, church? We, want, we don't want people on the path of death. I don't want people to, I'm loving enough to say, I want you to know the path of life. How do we know the path of life? We know it because of the word of God. And God does not change. And God and his word are inseparable. We don't get to make the God of our choosing. God's inseparable from his word. Third thing I want you to see about the word of God is the word of God lets us know that God is both knowable yet incomprehensible. God is both knowable and incomprehensible at the same time. God's incomprehensible. Isaiah 55, verse 9, the prophet Isaiah says, For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. So there's a part of God that's incomprehensible. Yet that's not an excuse. Just because we can't know all of God does not mean that God is not knowable. Our God is knowable. John chapter 17, Jesus said this. He says, and this is the way to have eternal life, to know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, the one you sent on earth. Just because we can't know all of God does not mean that God is unknowable to us. We know God's character. We know God's truth. We know God's means of salvation. God's word God and his word are inseparable. Now here's, here's the so what, okay? Since God and his word are inseparable, this is what it means. So when we hold up this book, the Bible, and we say this is the word of God, here's what this means. It means, number one, God's word is authoritative. God's word is authoritative. God and his word have authority in our lives. Now, we're going to get to this a little bit later in the sermon, Okay? Our sin has distorted our desire to have authority in our lives. All right? We don't like to have authority in our lives. I don't know if, you know, I, there's been times in my home where I've sent one of my kids to go get one of the other kids, right? So I send my, let's say my oldest son, hey, go get your brother. Goes up to get his brother. Brother says, you're not the boss of me, right? That's what kind of, we don't like authority. You're not my boss. And we tend to do that. We tend to do that with the Lord. In fact, as we go through this series, Distorted, I hope you'll begin to realize, man, there may be some areas of my life, your life, that, I'm, that really God's word is spoken, but we're distorting it. And why do we do that? Well, you're not the boss of me. So God's word, if it's, since he's inseparable from his word, it's authoritative. 
God's word is clear. God's word is clear. Now, is it clear about every possible thing? No, but it's clear in the things that God wants us to know about himself. What God wants us to know is easily knowable. Psalm chapter 19, verse 7, the psalmist says, the instructions of the Lord are what? Oh, man, we didn't get that. Ready? Let's do that again. Here we go. Ready? The instructions of the Lord are what? Think about that. As we, as we kind of, as this, as this series moves from kind of high-level biblical theology to some very practical things, we're going to have to ask the question, is, is what's, what's being said here, is that, is that really true? Is that really perfect? God's Word is perfect. It revives the soul. I love that. Psalm 42 and Psalm 43 often reminds me, you know, sometimes when I get discouraged, I, I kind of echo what the psalmist says. Why, I ask myself the question, why so downcast, O my soul? And then what's the psalmist say to himself? Put your hope in what? Put your hope in God. Sometimes I need to be reminded that, man, I'm, there's things I'm trusting in that are not of the Lord. Therefore, my soul is fractured, but the word of the Lord is perfect and revives my soul. The decrees of the Lord, they're trustworthy. They make wise the simple. You, you, the word of God is knowable. You don't have to be the smartest person in the room to know the word of the Lord and be wise and live a wise and a, and a, and a dignified life. That's what the word of the Lord gives to us. The commandments of the Lord are right. They bring joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are clear. And they give insight for living. The word of the Lord is, is clear for our moral understanding, for our righteousness, for sin, and how we are saved from the penalty of our sin. The word of the God is, is necessary. We need the word of God. It's necessary. Did you know that there are really two means of revelation in our lives, okay? There's, there's special revelation, which is the word of God, which has been given us, it gives us the means of salvation. But the Bible always talks about this, also talks about this idea of general revelation. General revelation is the idea that God has revealed himself in creation, and there's actually some things that no matter who you are in the human race, you should know about God just by looking at creation. Check this out, all right? This is, this is general revelation. Romans chapter 1 verse 19 says they know the truth about God. How do they know the truth about God? Because he made it obvious to them. Well, how did God make certain truths obvious to them? Verse 20, for ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and the sky through everything God made. So here's what is known about God. Ready? They can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power, and his divine nature. So they are without excuse for not knowing God. General revelation, the idea is we should be able to look at creation and understand there is a powerful God, there is a supernatural God, and he has some divine attributes. In fact, to look at creation and not acknowledge intelligent design is willfully disobedience, is willful disobedience, it's willful neglect. I could go on and on, and I've done this so many times, I feel like I'm boring you. I, I could read you so many statistics about how incredible life on this planet is, how precise. You know, if, if the earth tilted one degree, one way or the other, we, we, we'd either freeze or be burned up. 
You know, the, the way the human body fights off viruses is incredible. You know, if you're here this morning, you have a fever. Like, that's a good thing. Your body is cooking out the virus without killing you. Isn't that cool? Next time you have a fever, like, this is amazing. I know there's a God, right? Like, wow. And you get to call your boss and go, I can't come in today. It's a win-win, right? A day off work and intelligent design, all right? Did you know that nowhere in the Bible does it defend the existence of God? You want to know why? Creation screams intelligent design. And one would have to willfully close their mind to the magnificence of creation to deny the existence of God. And that's the culture you live in, I can tell you that right now. And so the scriptures tell us that general revelation lets us know that we serve and worship a God that is powerful and divine. He does things that can't be explained. Now, here's what general revelation only gives us enough to do. It only gives us enough information to condemn us of our sinfulness. Doesn't give us enough information about God to save us, to give us eternal life. We actually need special revelation to do that. And so, Scripture, the Word of God, is necessary. It requires special revelation, however, to be saved from the penalty of our sins. Romans chapter 10. I'm going to read a long passage here. I hope I don't lose you, okay? So stick with me. I know I'm heavy in on you this morning, all right? Romans 10, 10, Paul, the Apostle Paul says this, For it is by believing in your heart that you're made right with God. So if you're here this morning, you came in, you're investigating Christianity, you're investigating claims of God, you have to be in the Word of God to know the truth of God. God is inseparable from His Word. He wants you to be in relationship relationship within, and he's given us the word of God to do that. And so the apostle Paul says, for it is by believing in your heart, you're made right with God. And it's by openly declaring your faith that you're saved. As the scriptures tell us, anyone who trusts in him will never, talking about Jesus here, will never be disgraced. Jew and Gentile are the same in this respect. They have the same Lord who gives generously to all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, okay? So now Paul asks the question, well, how can that happen? How can people be saved from the penalty of their sin? So he says, how, how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they've never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? And how will anyone go and tell them without being sent? This is why the scriptures say how beautiful are the feet of the messengers who bring good news. Okay, church, here's the deal, all right? Next week, I'm going to dive into the image of God and how the image of God has been distorted, okay? And so God, when he set us in the garden, he gave us a job to do. We're going to unpack that next week. Sin has distorted that job. Christ, the second Adam, has come and He's restored to us our purpose by giving you a job. Did you know that? Like, why why didn't, the minute you became a Christian, why didn't God just take you to heaven? Well, you have eternal life, let's go to heaven. The reason he hasn't is he now has given you a purpose here on earth, and that's to take the idea of special revelation, the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ, to every tribe, tongue, and nation. And Paul here is building the case. That's why you're still here. The, The word of God is necessary, and you are the feet of the messengers that bring the good news to your neighbors, your co-workers, to, to, to the people that you do community with, and to every tribe, tongue, and nation. Does that make sense? You have a job, Christian. And that's why the scripture said, how beautiful are the feet of the messengers bring good news. But not everyone welcomes the good news. For Isaiah the prophet said, the Lord who has, uh, Lord, who has believed our message. So faith comes from hearing, that is hearing the good news about Jesus Christ. 
The Word of God is necessary to save us. The Word of God is also necessary for us to grow spiritually, okay? If you want to continue in your journey of spiritual growth, you've got to be in the Word of God. Uh, again, I'm not preaching the doctrine of justification this morning and how we're going to be saved. We're going to get to that. Okay, I'm kind of giving you a high-level view, but, but if you want to grow in, in your spirituality and become more like Christ, Matthew chapter 4, 4, Jesus said this. Jesus said, no, the Scriptures say people do not live by bread alone, but they but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. This is a quote, by the way, of the Old Testament, Deuteronomy 8, which once again, going back to my sermon two weeks ago, Jesus validating the Old Testament as the word of God. So Jesus isn't just a good prophet. Let's please, 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 please stop saying that. He's way more than a good prophet. He's the son of God. He claimed that the Old Testament is the word of God. We've already shown, I've already shown you how God and his word are inseparable. Okay, and so Jesus is saying we need to be in the word of God in order to, uh, we live by something far more than just bread. The word of God fills us spiritually, grows us spiritually. Which, by the way, this is a rhetorical question. There are always one or two that don't get that. It's a rhetorical question, okay? How many of you have been in your word this week? How many of you have been in the word of God this month? Every week I stand up here and I'll say it right now. Like if you don't own a Bible, there is a Bible and a chair in front of you. Take that with you and read it. See, the problem with American Christianity is when Tim Kaine distorts Genesis chapter 1, we don't know enough to sit there and go, that's a distortion of the Word of God because we haven't read it ourselves. We don't know enough to say, you don't get to say that about Genesis 1. You've missed the point entirely. The Word of God fills us spiritually, and some of us, the reason we're so spiritually weak, if, if this is all you're getting, okay, come in, and Pastor Sean yells at you for 30 minutes, maybe 40 minutes, okay, and like, if that's all you're getting, you're not getting enough, like, you need to be feasting on the Word of God, because that's how you know God. God is inseparable from His Word, and so the Word of God is necessary for spiritual growth so that we know the Lord. So the Word of God is authoritative. The Word of God is clear. The Word of God is necessary for salvation and spiritual growth. The Word of God is sufficient. That's your next point. The Word of God is sufficient. It's sufficient for all we need to grow to be more like Christ. 2 Timothy 3.16 is probably a pretty often quoted scripture around here at Coastal, but I actually think it's good to start in verse 15. 2 Timothy 3.15. Paul here is writing to Timothy. And he says to Timothy, you've, you've been taught the Holy Scriptures from childhood, and they have given you the wisdom to receive the salvation that comes by trusting in Jesus Christ. So what I talked about two weeks ago, remember the, the children's song that for those of you who grew up in a little Baptist church world like I did, right? You sang this growing up. Jesus loves me, this I, what? No, for the both Ellsbury said, like in this culture, that's a radical thing to say. It really is. Yet that's what the Apostle Paul says to Timothy. Timothy, you're a follower of Jesus Christ because from your childhood you've been in the holy, by the way, holy means set apart, the holy scriptures that have molded you to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And by the way, the word of God also helps you grow to be more like Christ. All scripture, Paul goes on to say, is inspired by God. It's useful to teach us what is true, make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we're wrong and teaches us to do what is right. The word of God is sufficient for us. Yeah, by the way, Paul here is, I think, making a very clear statement. We don't need to be looking for other revelation. 
When he talks about growing to be more like Christ, it corrects us, it trains us, it prepares us for good works. He doesn't say, now let's, now let's sit around and wait for new revelation. We have all that we need in the Word of God. Be in the Word of God. It will train you, it will correct you, it will mold you to be more like Christ. The Word of God is sufficient, okay? Let me make two final points here this morning. And leads to my final points are kind of so what's. Okay, here's kind of the so what's. Our sin distorts God and his word. So, so we're born into sin, okay, because we're born into sin. We, our natural tendency is not to submit to the authority of the word of God. Our natural tendency is to distort God's word and make excuses. This goes all the way to the very first temptation in the Garden of Eden, okay? So for those of you who know, in, in, the, in the book of Genesis, God creates Adam and Eve, puts them in this perfect place, this place of paradise, where they, had the, they, they were the only people besides Jesus who had free will to choose to follow God because they were without sin in their original state. And they, they were the federal headship of all of humanity, and so they had the opportunity to choose what is right. The rest of us are dead in sins, Ephesians tells us. Right? We're born into sin and we're dead in sins. We need the awakening of the Spirit of God through the, for the preached Word of God in order to have spiritual life. John chapter 3. You've got to be born again before you can even understand this stuff. Okay, And so... And so in, in Genesis chapter 3, when Eve is tempted by the serpent, the very first temptation is the question of, did God really say? Is God serious about that? Did God really say? Genesis chapter 3 verse 1, the, the serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. One day he asked the woman, did God really say that you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? See, the very first temptation that led to the first sin was the idea that God's word is unreliable. God cannot be trusted on his word. So did God really say, Eve? And we, we've been asking the same question ever since because our sin nature doesn't want to submit to the word of God. And so in a couple of weeks when we get up here and I get up here and we talk about salvation through Christ alone, there's going to be people who go, well, is that, re- is that really the only way? I mean, did God really say that? And when, I, and when we get up here and we, we talk about sex and sexuality as defined by the holy scriptures, according to the Apostle Paul, we live in a culture that's going to say, man, well, did God really say that? See, the deeper question is, does God really have my best at heart? Does God really know what is good and right, holy, and give life? When I get up here and we define marriage in a couple weeks, a biblical definition of marriage, and, and there's going to be some of you sitting here and you're going to go, did God say? When we get up here and we preach, oh boy, I'm going to go to meddling. Maybe I shouldn't say. All right. When we get up here and preach about money. Right? Did God say. Did God really say that? Is that really for our best? And when it comes back to we can't pick and choose the God that we want to worship. We have to worship the God who is 
And God is inseparable from his word. Now, I've kind of taken a negative approach, okay? So, so I'm going to make my final point. So with that, we're going to actually close. I'm going to let you guys listen to a great song this morning. So I need the worship team to come up, but I need you to not be distracted, okay? Can we do that together? So worship team, come up. Everybody else look at me, all right? Here we go. Let me give you some positive. I've kind of attacked it from the negative. Let me give you the positive. Ready? The positive is... That when we're serious about the word of God, God is not the cosmic killjoy. Did you know that? When God defines these things, it's not like, oh, that's no fun. Listen to this, church. It is God's word that gives you life. It is God's word that gives you hope. It is God's word that keeps your soul from being fractured. It is God's word that gives you purpose. It is God's word that finds what is lost. It is God's word that redeems your life. When you think, you're sitting here this morning, some of you are sitting here this morning thinking, my life is unredeemable. That is not true. Jesus Christ can buy back your mess and use it for his glory. It is God's word that gives life. Psalm chapter 19, I already read this this morning. Check this out. The instructions of the Lord are perfect, reviving the soul. The decrees of the Lord, they're trustworthy. They make the wise, they make wise the simple, and the commandments of the Lord, they're right, and they bring joy to the heart. The commandments of the Lord are clear, and they give insight for living. Reason at Coastal, we're going to stand on the Word of God as true is because we believe that about the Word of God. We want you to leave here with hope and joy and purpose. I love this song from Third Day that reminds me of all the goodness of the Word of God. This is called Your Words. Listen to this.
Everything else will fade away But what will remain are your, your words Give us life that's never ending Your words bring us love that never fails Everything else will fade away way better than one of my dumb stories, isn't it? Praise the Lord for His words, all right? So here's the so what. I hope that, uh, I hope you'll take this journey with us in, to, in small groups, okay? This is your so what. We want you to unpack the words of God in community with other people, and that's a big part of the application of this sermon. So if you're not in a small group, sign up for one for the next six weeks. We're going to take this journey together We're going to unpack the Word of God. We're going to be serious about it. We're going to make sure we're not distorting it in our lives because when it's distorted, okay, then we know we're we're in bondage. But when we we trust the Lord, we take it as truth, we build our lives on it, then we know freedom. And at Coastal, we want you to know the freedom of knowing the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the only way we know that is through the Word of God, okay? So take the journey with us. If you do not own a Bible, okay, There is a Bible under that chair in front of you. Take it with you. We want you to know the words of God. We want you to know truth. We want you to know life. We want you to know joy. We want your soul to have peace and rest in the gospel of Christ. Let's let's close with prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. It It is a gift to us. It's not intended to be controversial. It's it's not intended to It's not even intended to be political, God. Its intent is that we would know the truth and the truth would set us free. Heavenly Father, I pray for the one that came in here this morning and their their soul and their heart has been in bondage and they kind of drug themselves here this morning because their life is confusing and they're trying to figure it out. I pray that by the power of your word that we taught and by the power of your spirit, you would would engage their heart and it would be warmly aglow knowing, you know what, I think I heard the truth this morning. And that they would be drawn to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And by knowing the gospel of Jesus Christ, they would would know freedom that comes from your words. We thank you for your words. We thank you how they teach us about your son Jesus. Who lived the perfect life. who, Who died in our place. That you poured out your wrath on sin on him instead of us. And that he rose, he was placed in a grave and he rose from the grave authenticating his person and his work and giving us hope for eternal life. We praise you, God, for your word. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.